For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. What if a change in classroom practice could lead to change in reading outcomes? What should reading instruction include to ensure all students have the opportunity to succeed? What does cognitive science tell us about learning to read, and why aren't those learnings applied in our classrooms? Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert from Amplify Education. Join us every two weeks as we talk with science of reading experts to explore what it takes to transform our classrooms and develop confident and capable readers. On today's episode, we move from general conversations about the science of reading into more specifics of one aspect of reading instruction. Joining me is Dr. Tim Rosinski, a noted expert from Kent State University. We talk about the importance and often neglected topic of fluency. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Susan. Um, So you are an award-winning author. You're really an expert on this topic of fluency. But what I like to do before we dig into it is understand your story. How did you get to this place and and how did you get interested in fluency? Sure. I have, I think, a rather interesting story to to tell. It was back in the mid-1970s. I had gotten out of service, and I used the GI Bill to become a teacher. This is in uh, near Omaha, Nebraska, and started as a classroom teacher, middle school, elementary school, but eventually I developed an interest in kids who were having difficulty in reading. I was working on my master's degree uh, in uh, in reading, and... uh, well, it just so happened that I'm working with these kids, and I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do, you know, according to the book back then. But many of these children were not making much progress in, in, in their reading. I was working on phonics and vocabulary and comprehension, but they seemed to be flatlining. You know, it was disappointing. I thought I knew something, and here I am just uh, not making much progress at all. Well, fortunately for me, I was, as I said, working on my master's, and uh there are some articles that were just beginning to appear about reading fluency in our professional journals, and the professors had us reading them. One of them was called Fluency, the Neglected Goal of the Reading Program by uh, uh, Dick Allington. Uh, but actually, a couple that preceded that was one by Carol Chomsky called After Decoding, Then What? She was working, much like me, with kids who were having difficulty working on decoding with them, and they still weren't making any progress. And her answer was fluency, work on fluency with the kids. And then there was Dr. Jay Samuels had a great piece called The Method of Repeated Readings, 
where he said, for some kids, it's not enough for them to read a text once, but like any skill, sometimes you have to practice it. So we talked about having kids read a text two, three, four times. And what he found was that not only did they improve on that text that they practiced, but there was a carryover. There was improvements to new things they hadn't seen before. Uh, and so I decided to try some of these methods out with the kids I was working with. And lo and behold, uh, they started to make progress. And in some cases, it was really quite breathtaking to see the progress they were making. The, not only were the, was their reading imp improving, but their confidence in themselves, their joy in reading. Uh, simply by crossing, crossing that threshold into more proficient reading and fluency seemed to be the answer there. So that's what got me started. And then I you know, went on for my uh, doctorate degree at Ohio State and found uh, a professor, Jerry Zutel, who had a similar interest. And so the two of us uh, uh, worked together and uh, well, the rest is history 40 some years later. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember I was a classroom teacher, not 40 some years ago, but a lot of years ago. And the first time I came across your research was at a professional development that you hosted in Rochester, Minnesota. So that's mm. a long time ago. <laughs> I remember it though. It was a nice, uh, it was a nice uh, uh, part of the country to be in at the time. Yeah. Um, and fluency, I mean, fluency is not a big topic, but you still are doing research in this area of fluency, trying to push this movement forward. Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing there at the Reading Clinic at Kent State. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to stay with fluency because I'm, I'm convinced <laughs> that it, it does make a difference. Um, for the last 30 years or so, I've been associated with uh, the Kent State University Reading Clinic. Uh, it's part, actually part of our master's degree program where our uh, master's students in reading have to take a practicum. Uh, so what we do is over a summer, uh, we line these uh, uh, graduate students with uh, four or five uh, uh, struggling readers. We get them from the local community and they work with the children um, in these small groups uh, for about an hour and a half every day over the course of five or six weeks. What we have found is that when we look at these kids, and most of them are children who have either finished first grade or, or all the way up through fifth grade. And what we find is fluency is a huge issue. Many of these kids, uh, they're able to decode words, uh, but not well. You know, they, uh, they, they sound them out, but if, if you were to hear them read uh, uh, orally, it would be slow, very laborious reading, monotone. They certainly weren't getting much joy and satisfaction or even comprehension. So over the years, what we developed was a what we call a core lesson. It's the fluency development lesson is actually the official term for that. And the idea of this lesson is for children to experience success every single day in reading. What we do is we give kids a text. It's usually a short piece, maybe a poem or a song or maybe a segment of a story they've been reading. And in a, in a matter of about 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so, the teacher reads the text to the children a couple times, modeling fluent reading. Then they read it together, uh, children and teacher, uh, again, two or three times. And then eventually the children work on their own or with a partner and they continue to practice another two or three times. Now you get about nine or 10 readings out of this one text. So there's your repeated readings. But what happens is we give the kids a reason for doing this and that's a performance. After the children have mastered that text, read it several times through, and really can read it re reasonably well, 
then we have them perform. We often bring in parents sitting outside in the hallway. The children go out and perform that text for their uh, mom or dad or some other parent who might be out there who gives them a hug and tell them what a great job they did. <laughs> we follow that up with a little bit of word study from words that are in that text. But in about 20, 25 minutes, we get some really intensive uh, uh, fluency practice with these children and done on a daily basis. What we're finding is that these kids are developing confidence, fluency, and of course, I call fluency the bridge to uh, comprehension. We see overall reading uh, improvement, uh, 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 overall improvement in reading really uh, uh, begin to accelerate. Uh, and, and so we've been at this for quite a while, and uh, the, the, uh, the progress we see is, is quite remarkable. Wow, that's amazing. And leads me to want to ask all kind of questions, which we'll get to. But I think before we go there, let's let's just talk about what is fluency and, and why is it important to professional right. reading? Yeah, that's and the reason that's a great question, because it is misunderstood. And I think we'll talk about that later. But here's the way I see fluency. It's uh, I see uh, at one end of the reading curriculum, we have word study. You have vocabulary, you have word decoding, you have phonemic awareness. And the other end, of course, is the goal of reading, which is comprehension. Fluency fits right in the middle. It's what I call the bridge uh, from phonics and word study to comprehension. How is it a bridge? Well, it's made up of two separate distinct competencies. And this is what kind of makes it a little more difficult to understand. One of those competencies is what we call automaticity in word recognition. It's the ability of, of, for children or readers uh, to read words automatically, effortlessly, uh, like you and I, when we read. Uh, we don't hardly ever have to stop and sound out a word. Those words are, we encounter sight words. And what that means then is that we can uh, devote our attention away from the word decoding task of reading uh, to more the comprehension task. Uh, there. So I often say that the goal of phonics instruction is to get students not to read, not to do phonics. Yeah. Uh, like you and I, we are automatic readers. And that's what we found in our reading clinic, that we have kids who are accurate, but they're not automatic. But that's only part of it. We have this other part called prosody, or the better term, I guess, would be expression. This is actually the link uh, automaticity is the link from word study to fluency, and then uh, prosody is the link from fluency to comprehension. Uh, if I think about somebody who's a fluent speaker or a fluent reader, it's not somebody who reads fast or, it's, it's, or speaks fast. It's somebody who uses their voice to make meaning. They get loud, they get soft, they get fast, they get slow, they have dramatic pauses. They phrase the text appropriately. And what they're actually doing when they do this, whether it's reading or speaking, is they're creating meaning. They're making that link. In order to read something with good expression, you have to have understanding of what the text is that you're reading. So there's that link there. And, and so those are the two things that constitute fluency. And sometimes I, I think what happens is one's, one of these gets overemphasized over the other. Uh, and uh, what we get is perhaps a little bit of an imbalanced or misunderstood fluency program. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because every time I hear you speak about fluency, you talk about problems about what I call fluency awareness on the part mm -hmm. of educators. One, that it's traditionally been ignored, fluency has in reading programs. I think you made reference to that all the way back to Allington's first article. Um, but then also, if or when it is embraced, 
people really misunderstand it. Can you talk more about those things? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, Dick Ellington's piece was a real uh, eye-opener for many of us in the field. 1983, it's hard to believe you're talking you know, close to 40 years ago. Fluency, the Neglected Goal of the Reading Program, I believe, was the title of it. And what he said was that uh, we know fluent reading. All you got to do is listen to children, or disfluent reading, listen to children read for half a minute, and you can tell whether or not they're, you know, they're fluent readers. But what he said was, we rarely do anything about it back in the, in the 40 years ago uh, or, or so. Uh, and, and so he developed that first awareness of that. Now, the problem is, of course, I think, is these two components of fluency. Uh, it, maybe we should have just, just gotten rid of the word fluency and talked about automaticity and prosody to begin with. But uh, because it has those two subcompetencies, it becomes a bit more of a challenge, I guess, for teachers and others to really understand. And I can understand that. And that's part of it. That's part of it. And then the other part is that we often associate fluency with oral reading. Uh, you know, you talk about how, how do you know if kids are a fluent reader or not? You listen to them read while well, they're reading orally. Uh, in many of our classrooms, most of them, I think we would say that the goal of reading instruction is not necessarily proficiency in oral reading, but silent reading. Uh, there. So again, that associated with the oral reading becomes a bit of a, uh, uh, a problem uh, for under, why, why should I teach fluency if I'm interested in silent reading? What we realize, though, is the way you read orally reflects the way you read silently. Many, in fact, most of us would say when we read silently, we hear ourselves read uh, that voice within us, that internal voice here. So that associated with oral reading. And then there's this idea of fast reading. Many of our listeners out there probably are familiar with Dibbles and Ames Web. That's a way of assessing automaticity and word recognition. You have children read for a minute, and you count the number of words they read correctly in that minute's time. Now, I got to admit, that's, that's not a bad measure of automaticity. The research on this uh, really indicates it's a high correlation between that and comprehension. The problem comes when we flip this assessment and make it a method of instruction where uh, well-meaning teachers, they, you know, they get out the stopwatch and they work with their children for 10 or 15 minutes every day. And what they uh, try to get the kids to do is read faster than the day before. And what happens is the kids do read faster, but is there any improvement in reading? No, no, because that's their goal of reading. I still remember a couple years ago, we had a couple children in our reading clinic and we were testing them. They were second graders, I believe, and the teacher gave them a, a text to read. And both of them looked up at the teacher uh, and said, am I supposed to read this as fast as I can? Sure. And, you know, I, I think it came from, you know, all that emphasis on on uh, making kids read yeah. fast. I want kids to become fast readers, just like you and I. We're all reasonably fast. Yeah. But how did we get that way? It wasn't through speed reading or, or stopwatch reading. It was through just lots and lots and lots of practice. And you become automatic, and the speed is then reflected in that automaticity. Can, so I, those, can, I, say, can I say something and, and back to you and see if this, this it sort of makes sense? So what I'm hearing you say is that Word recognition, when you can recognize words, highly correlated then to reading speed, and reading speed is important to comprehension. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing is we're focusing not on the word recognition and automaticity, but our instruction is focusing on reading speed. Right. And reading speed is not the way to solve that piece. Right, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, sometimes I say, uh, 
uh, how do I say it? Uh, speed is the consequence of automaticity. Automaticity is not the consequence of speed. Yes. So uh, we work we work on automaticity in, in authentic ways, and the speed's just going to come along like it does for most of us as adult readers, professional readers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That that sort of relationship between word recognition and fluency. So. Mm -hmm. Didn't mean to interrupt you because I know there's another key element <laughs> of fluency too that we need to talk about. Yeah, yeah prosody. Um, again, as I said, we often th pro prosody is often associated with oral reading, and you know our goal of instruction is silent reading for the most part. Uh, but again, that that we have that internal voice that we listen to, uh, and and how do you teach prosody? Uh, you know, if you look into a lot of our uh, in methods books that we use with teachers or programs in uh, you know, curricular programs, you don't see a lot of emphasis on, on you know, reading with good expression. And so it, it begins something that begins to fall by this wayside. I remember back in the day when I was a kid, we had something called recitation where you would take something like a speech from American history and you would learn to recite it almost to the point of memorization. In fact, I think that's part of the problem there also. Uh, we, we read something, you know, working on our expressive reading uh, uh, to the point where we, we could recite it by memory. And we're not really interested in having kids memorize text, but what happens is that again becomes kind of thrown in as a roadblock. You know, oh, we don't want kids to memorize text, of course not, but we do want them to practice the text uh, to, because that's the only way you can get to the point where you can, you know, read a text, you know, with good expression. Um, this uh, talk I'm giving right now with you, this conversation. Uh, you sent me some of the questions in advance. So what did I do the hour or two before I rehearsed? I looked them over so that when I, hopefully when I am sharing with you, I'm, I'm not, you know, kind of stumbling over myself like I normally do. I've uh, kind of done that rehearsal and uh, now hopefully a little bit more fluent than if I had not done the rehearsal. Yeah, there's a couple things that, um, sort of turn a light bulb on for me. The one thing is, is that when you think about prosody or you're reading a paragraph, it, the goal isn't to go as fast as you can either, right? Because the meaning is derived from the pauses or the emphasis you put right. on. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Have you ever tried reading something fast and with expression at the same time? It's like two opposing things. Uh, you can't, you can't do it. Uh, and uh, and similarly, if you have those children who are not automatic readers, they read in that word by word manner. They're putting so much emphasis on just trying to get the next word read uh, accurately that you know they're uh, they're not paying attention at all as if they're reading in a, in an appropriate phrase or with good expression or emphasis or pausing. You know, it's just trying to get from one word to the next, and of course, a not very satisfying uh, reading performance uh, as a result. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other, um, as it relates to the reading performance or, you know, being able to um, to perform these texts that you're practicing, the link between speaking and listening, right? The, mm -hmm. It's just amazing. Uh, never thought about that before, that um, that expressive part is really related to those speaking and listening standards. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's great that those were put into the common core standards and yeah. you know, how, how do you become a 
fluent speaker. Uh, you know, you, you rehearse, uh, you develop those same skills that are involved in oral reading. And, and similarly with listening, you know, in our, in our reading clinic, our children, you know, perform poetry and readers, theater scripts and songs. Uh, the students and the adults who are listening, you know, one of the things we remind them to be is a good listener, to listen attentively, to make eye contact uh, with your uh, with with the performers, so that they know that you're following along with them. So th these are skills that, you know, again sometimes get put uh, pushed by the wayside. But that, you know, when you think of the, how we need them in, in in adult life, you know, there's something that uh, we simply can't ignore. Yeah, interesting how integrated all of, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of common core standards, how integrated all these things are in terms of, be, you know, developing as both proficient readers and writers. Right, right. Yeah. So most of our listeners are, are familiar with the National Reading Panel Report, which really helped us understand important elements um, of reading instruction. And there's been a lot of media attention recently on foundational skills, including the importance of teaching phonemic awareness and phonics, but fluency has gotten lost a little bit in this conversation. Why do you think that is? Yeah, poor fluency. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if, if many of the listeners have been following uh, some of the works that have been coming out, Emily Hanford uh, has been producing some reports on reading and what what her report is focused on for the lar most part is, you know, that we're not teaching phonics appropriately or with great enough uh, assist, uh, with uh, great enough explicitness and, and mm -hmm. systematicity. Uh, and I don't disagree with that. I think phonics is absolutely key. But what I think some of these uh, uh, reporters are missing is that only gets us so far. Uh, teaching kids to, to read accurately and know what the words mean is great, but we need to reach that point of automaticity. As I said earlier, the goal of phonics instruction is to get kids not to use it uh, there. So what happens is, you know, I think with all the emphasis on phonics, 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 you know, we're losing sight of, well, let's take, got to take that next step uh, to getting kids to fluency. And then, of course, the next step after that is comprehension. Right. And yeah. you've been talking about this for a while. I think it was in, what, 2010, 2012, maybe you wrote this article called Why Reading Fluency Should Be Hot. Yeah. But you're still trying to make that case. Tell me more about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that article came as a result of uh, the uh, International Literacy Association. Back then, it was the International Reading Association. Every year would do this, What's Hot in Reading? And they would ask 40, 50 experts around the country with the hot topics. And fluency was on, you know, on the list of topics. And every single year, uh, they would, these experts would, would say, it's, it's not hot. Not only that, they said it shouldn't be hot. When you dug a little bit deeper, the reason for that was because, you know, they were making reference to this idea of speed reading and, and those things that aren't all that important when it comes to fluency. But so that kind of got me a little upset. So I, I said, here's why fluency should be hot. And basically what I what I covered in that article was that, you know, it's much the same that we talked about here, uh, that it is that bridge to comprehension, that it's more than just reading fast. It's reading with expression and joy. Uh, and it can be done in ways that are very authentic and engaging for the kids themselves. Um, people have read it, and I've gotten some good response to that, but it, it's still a struggle here. We still have an, a, uh, 
you know, this lack of emphasis, as I mentioned, I, uh, with uh, the emphasis on phonics, I wrote to some of these people who have been writing about phonics. They say, you're missing, you know, you're missing that one critical piece, fluency. And, and they say, well, not really, or, you know, that'll come later on its own. And I say, no, it doesn't for many kids. You have to do that. Uh, you have to have that fluency emphasis. I, uh, with some graduate students just recently this past semester, we did a survey of teachers around the country, and basically we asked them, uh, what are some of the hot topics, uh, not, the, not the hot topics, what I asked was, what we asked was, how much time should be devoted to various aspects of reading instruction, comprehension, word study, phonics, vocabulary, fluency? And again, we had the same results. We had these t teachers saying, uh, yeah, a significant amount of time should be devoted to phonics and word study, 30 minutes a day. Yeah, a significant amount of time should be devoted to comprehension, anywhere from 45 minutes to maybe up to an hour. But when it came to fluency, that was the one that got neglected again. It, I think, the, if I'm not mistaken, I think we, that we what we found was that teachers are saying uh, 10, 15 minutes per day. And, you know, that's more than zero, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's I, th I think Tim Shanahan, uh, when he was uh, the uh, uh, the uh, leader of reading in the Chicago public schools, mm -hmm. recommended that 30 minutes per day to be devoted to fluency, and and he found that the, the the results were remarkable in terms of the improvement of the students there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, we've talked a little bit about the the role of practice to gain fluency. So this idea that word recognition and practice and that actually is what helps us gain the speed part of fluency. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about, you know, prosody and like, no, like knowing the meaning, you know, that also helps us with that um, with that fluency. Um, but what about when you think about our really very early readers, like those kids that are in kindergarten and first grade who are sort of just learning phonics, how, mm -hmm. how do we pay attention to fluency there and develop that in parallel? Mm -hmm. Well, I, again, um, I often go back to the uh, stages of reading by Jean Shaw, one of the great names in reading, and she created yeah. this little uh, um, not little, but uh, outline of, of how we uh, move our way through literacy. And what she said was that uh, in grades kindergarten or first grade, it's more of you know, the emphasis should be on phonics and word recognition. In grades two and three, then we move more into fluency. And there's a lot, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but what we have actually found is that we can be bring fluency even into the kindergarten and first grade classroom. How? Find those texts that... Uh, that are that are meant to be performed right out loud and have kids practice them and then eventually perform them rehearse them i i, I would say instead of uh, practice them uh poetry songs readers theater scripts these are things that uh, uh you know are easy to learn the rhythm the rhyme the repetition in a poem or a rhyme make them very accessible for kids and it doesn't take much practice for them to reach the point where they can read them uh, independently we actually have done some research with this. I worked with a colleague of mine, Bruce Stevenson, a, a psychologist down in Columbus, Ohio. He actually taught parents to do this with their first graders. And especially the struggling readers, those kids who were the most at risk for failure in reading, or at least to have difficulty, these were the kids who made remarkable progress in as little as three months' time with their parents sitting side by side where a parent would read a poem or a nursery rhyme every day to the child a couple times, then they would read it together. 
eventually the child would have it to the point where they essentially had it memorized, but they could then read it uh, on their own. And then they did some word study. More recently, uh, I was involved in a study at a, one of our local uh, charter schools here in Cleveland and um, very urban school. Lots of children you would suspect are, are at risk for difficulty. Uh, what the teachers did was they implemented our fluency development lesson I described a little bit earlier where it's a daily poem and the teacher would basically try to get children to the point where they could read it successfully. Teacher would read it and they would read it together and the kids would practice on their own eventually perform it. Uh, the study went from mid-October to mid-December. So what is that? Uh, two months or two so? Months. Ten weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What we found was these children made three times the progress uh, in overall reading achievement, uh, then compared to children who were in similar classrooms, spent the same amount of time in reading instruction, but did not have this fluency intervention. Three times the progress. Wow. Uh, much more, it was much, you know, we were even surprised by those results. But again, that's what happens when you can get kids to the point where they, you know, they take the focus off the words and can put it more on the meaning uh, and find satisfaction then in the text that they're reading. Yeah, and you know, I hear you say phonics, it's important. Um, explicit systematics phonics instruction is important, yep. but it sounds like you're also saying that there is an element of fluency instruction that can also be explicit as well, and that we shouldn't, oh, what do I wanna, we, we shouldn't give one privilege over the other, that both of these are really important to developing reading proficiency. Exactly. Uh, I, I think Tim Shanahan went back and said, you know, equal amounts of time should be devoted to uh, phonics and word study and, and, and to fluency at the same time. You mentioned e explicitness and in, in fluency. And if, if I may, I, I'd like to talk about uh, some of the aspects of, of good fluency instruction, if That'd I may. That'd be great. Yes, okay. please. Uh, basically, it, it, there's a very limited number of things we have to keep uh, in mind. I think the first thing is developing in students an awareness of what is fluent reading and what better way of doing that by reading to kids. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is when your teacher or parent reads to their children, make sure that, you know, you, you use your enthusiasm, bring in that, that uh, voice uh, and, and make the characters come alive when you read to kids. And then uh, talk with your children uh, about, uh, you know, how that reading by the teacher or parent made the text, you know, all the more engaging. You know, what did you think when I sped up here but slowed down here or I had this dramatic pause? And children begin to notice that, yeah, that really helped my understanding and my satisfaction with that reading. Now, modeling fluent reading or reading to kids is great, but that's not the kids reading themselves. So the, then the other components are these. One is what we call assisted reading. And that's where children read something and they hear it read to them at the same time. Somebody who's a more fluent reader could be a parent, another uh, a teacher, or it could be a, another student. Uh, but when they're reading together, I'm not saying I read a line and then you read a line, but we read simultaneously. Ah. That child is hearing that fluent rendering of the text by his or her partner. Uh, at the same time, they're making uh, they're making uh, they're making their own best effort to read a text. That's what Carol Chomsky did in her study that I mentioned earlier on. Now, assisted reading can take a variety of forms. It could be reading with a partner. It could be choral reading with a group. It could be reading and listening to a uh, pre-recorded version of the text. We're seeing more and more of that yeah. uh, happening. And, and all of these have been found to be really quite successful in improving reading. We talk about practice. And uh, one of the most common forms of practice is what we call wide reading, where children you know, read a text one day and the next day they read another text. And, and for most kids, 
you know, who are average to above average readers, you know, that's the great way of developing fluency. But we need to match that with what we call repeated reading or deep reading, uh, where kids read something multiple times through uh, uh, there. And uh, again, so that we want them to reach that point uh, where they can read a text just as well as a proficient reader. Uh, and for some kids, that's three readings, four readings, five readings, you know. Uh, the, the problem in, uh, with the repeated readings is to give kids a real reason to do that. And that's where performance comes in. Mm -hmm. If children know they're going to eventually perform that poem or be part of that reader's theater performance, they're going to want to rehearse uh, because, of course, they want to do a good job when they, when they make their grand performance at the end of the day or at the end of the week here. So keeping that, those things in mind, finding texts that are meant to be performed and giving a kids the chance to perform it. So yeah. modeling fluent reading, assisted reading, wide reading, deep reading, and then there's uh, another one I, we call phrasing. You know, if you think about somebody who's not a fluent reader, it's somebody who reads in that word by word manner. Uh, that's getting the words right accurately, but if you think about it, you know, we want kids to read in phrases. You know, prepositions like of and the and noun markers like the, they really have no meaning if they're stand by themselves. They have to be integrated into a phrase. So sure. teaching ch children to chunk or phrase a text is part of that as well. So these are, for me, these are the basic uh, building blocks, if you will, of fluency. Uh, and then, of course, what we try to do is, okay, what happens if you can put all those things together? Uh, then you get synergy, something that's greater than the sum of the parts. And that's where uh, our fluency development lesson kicks in. You know, we're working with kids who struggle and, um, you know, they need that intensive pro uh, practice. So putting modeling, assisted reading uh, in the form of choral reading, practice with a partner, uh, continued rehearsal, and then eventually eventual performance you know, that the, all these things are working together uh, uh, in combination to build fluency and done on a regular basis can be, uh, can really accelerate kids' progress. As I mentioned, that study that we just finished up in there in, uh, uh, in Cleveland. Uh, I did another study a couple years ago with a teacher in, from outside of Toledo, Ohio. Um, she's, she was a, a fourth grade teacher and she worked as fluency development lesson with her uh, uh, six uh, struggling readers, the ones who were worried about most, were significantly behind in their, their reading. And again, did that same lesson on a daily basis with these children. And again, in about uh, a third of a year, was that about three months time, these kids made over a year's progress in reading wow. on average. Yeah. And again, it wasn't just reading fast. That happened, of course. But sure. more importantly, when they did a measure of their comprehension, uh, their overall reading achievement, we saw those gains there as well. Amazing. Fluency is the bridge, and yeah. we can't ignore it. Well, I know, to make a segue here, you've put uh, all of this together in this book called The Mega Book of Fluency. I have it sitting here on my desk right in front of me, and I'm telling our listeners, which will link our listeners in the show notes to the book, but it really is a mega book of fluency. So tell me a little bit about how this came to be, um, yeah. and yeah, and what uh, what people are taking away from this. Okay. Um, yeah. Isn't that a great title, Mega Book? It is. <laughs> uh, well, it actually goes back, the story of the book goes back to about four or five years ago. I was um, making a presentation at the Arizona Reading Association, the state reading convention there. And, you know, I talked about fluency, neglect, the neglect of the reading program. And uh, what I often reference is my a book that preceded that one. It's called The Fluent Reader. Uh, and 
the fluent reader is more of a, uh, I would say, a slightly more scholarly approach to fluency. We talked about the research and so on. But a teacher came up to me. She was a she is uh, a fifth grade teacher out of uh, in Arizona near Phoenix, I believe. Her name is Melissa Cheeseman Smith, and she said, "You know, I'm, I got this idea. Maybe you you present some really neat ideas in your presentation, Tim. But how about if we actually put them into a book? You know, actually create lessons that teachers could put into practice." And I said, sure, you know, I, I I come at it from the more professor side and she comes at it from the more in the trenches side. And so we put our t heads together and we made a collection of lessons uh, that actually can be immediately uh, 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 implemented in classrooms uh, and can be models for further instruction by the teachers. We have things like activities with songs and poems, readers, theater scripts, but other activities that uh, tap into phrasing with with children. And, and many of our fun are engaging. I love reading, going on Amazon and reading the comments that uh, teachers have made there who have purchased the book, uh, finding out uh, this really can be a guide for their own fluency instruction, uh, that 15 or so minutes for their whole class to get them uh, in, in, into uh, higher levels of fluency. I might mention that one of the things we found out not long ago was that uh, the Mega Book of Fluency uh, won the Teacher's Choice Award for this year, 2019. So we're really proud of that. And of course, when you get an endorsement, uh, from teachers, people who are, you know, like I said, in the trenches, you know, you're really, uh, you're really into something. So we're really proud of that book and really glad to see it getting into the hands of teachers and uh, people who do professional development around the country. Uh, yourself, thanks for, thanks for getting the book and I, I hope you find it uh, useful. Yeah, what I love about it is you're right, it takes some time to talk about what fluency is and giving, you know, giving some context to it, but the entire rest of the mega book is all about things teachers can pick up and yep. implement alongside things that they're already doing in their right. classrooms. So right. super, super helpful. Thank you. Um, so I really appreciate your time sharing your expertise with our listeners. Um, and as we wrap up, I'd like for you to just share with us what do you think is the one thing that we should take away or we want our listeners to really think about as it relates to fluency? Well, uh, great topic. I could maybe list 10, but uh, you're putting <laughs> me down. Uh, one of the things I often talk about is, is the art of teaching reading, how we focused on the science of teaching reading. We also know that uh, to be a great teacher, you have to be an artist as well. And so, um, what I might say is finding ways to be artful in teaching in teaching fluency. It's not getting out that stopwatch and having kids read fast. What we need to do is find authentic ways for children to engage in repeated readings and to engage in reading a text with good expression. And that's where, you know, again, I'm going to go back on repeating myself, but having kids perform poetry and readers' theater scripts, even some things like um, famous speeches from American history, uh, you know, that used to be something that was a big part of uh, reading instruction back in the day, but we kind of put that off to the side. But learning to read these with good expression, that's the art of, of teaching, uh, to make it something that is authentic, something we would do as adults if we were asked to be in a, uh, in a play or, or to sing a song or perform a poem. So finding, making fluency an integral part of that, of your instructional day, but also finding ways to make an, an authentic part of the day itself. Yeah. So that, that, that right now, that's my big takeaway, I guess. Great. And for our listeners, 
we will link this in show notes, but tell, tell them other ways they can connect with you and your work outside of this mega book of fluency. Okay. Thanks, Susan. Yeah. I'll always uh, enjoy the opportunity to plug myself here. Uh, <laughs> for, first of all, my email address, I'll give it to you and I'm sure you're going to put it down. It's uh, T R A S I N S K. So my first initial plus Rosinski without the I at the end at Kent K E N T dot edu. So if anybody has questions or thoughts or insights, want to argue a point, I'm there. I, I, tried to, my best to answer uh, emails uh, and so and I will do so respectfully um, but also uh, something that's easy to get to is uh, my my website it's uh, Tim Rosinski t-i-m-r-a-s-i-n-s-k-i.com uh, two things in particular that I would like to draw your attention to there is one is a blog I if you go to the tab across the top it says blog I do a monthly blog uh, in which I either discuss something of interest or oftentimes what I do is a lesson, uh, either with fluency or with word study, some of those foundational skills. Many of the listeners might be uh, familiar with uh, the daily word ladders yes. that, I, that I've been writing over the last several years. It's a word study activity kind of game. And uh, I have them in book form, but occasionally what I try to do is uh, do one and I'll put it right on my blog. Uh, uh, often I try to tap it into something that is uh, seasonal. Uh, so just re, uh, recently I did something, I believe, with uh, Halloween that's coming up perhaps. Um, and so you can find some lessons there under the blog. And then if you click on my website, uh, uh, resources, uh, I place there a lot of my uh uh, articles that I've written over the years, you can find them there. I think the, that what's hot, why fluency should be hot. I think that I, that's posted there, and also other things. I put readers' theater scripts that I have written. Uh, I've I put song books that you can download for free, even a nursery rhyme book that uh, uh, can be printed off and you can share with your uh, your your students and, and and their parents. So that that's stuff that I'd love to share. One last thing: over the last year or so, I've got into Twitter. <laughs> and my Twitter feed is at uh, Tim Rosinski one. Uh, and, and the reason why I mention that is whenever I do a blog, um, I'll pro I usually alert my uh, my audience uh, to that via Twitter. Uh, so uh, it's a good way of carrying. I found it's a great way of carrying on a, a conversation with a whole bunch of people at the same time. That's awesome. So those things, my email address, my website and my Twitter feed. Sounds great. Well, thanks yeah. so much. And again, we'll link our listeners to that in the show notes. Uh, appreciate your time so much, Tim. Thanks. Oh, my, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks for all the good work you guys are doing. We're so grateful to our amazing guest today and to all of you making a difference in the lives of students every single day. Be sure to check the show notes for resource links from today's podcast. And we want to hear your stories and successes. Follow us on Facebook at Science of Reading, the community, or send an email to sormatters at amplify.com. Tell us what guests you think we should book, or tell us about the research that really excites you. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Susan Lambert from Amplify Education.